Okay, episode 68 of the 580 show. We're back for another episode. I got my coach, uh, very popular in the strongman world, Mr. Andrew Clayton. Thank you for joining me this week. No problem. I'm happy to be here. So I wanted to grab you, especially this week. I've been meaning to ask you to come on, but you made a, I think you said, what, 962 days, something like that, since you last competed? I think it was 969, but then again, man, I can't count, man. That's too big of a number. <laughs> it makes me sound like a creeper, too, just that pulling that out. But, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but uh, so major return this weekend to this past weekend to competing. How do you want to talk about it a little bit? What made you want to do it? How was it? Um, yeah, so uh, so yeah, everybody just keeps asking me because I guess I still get like some podcast requests and every now and again, like people ask me, you know, I still coach and stuff and like, you know, when are you going to compete again? And it's frustrating. So I kind of had to get that monkey off my back. I just, I mean, I, I've been able to compete. I think that's, that's the thing is like I could have competed. To, I mean, technically I entered a power to meet like a couple, like a month and a half after I had my knee surgery and I just basically lowballed all the numbers. Uh, but competing and doing your best are different so like for me competing was like am i gonna come back to a point where like it's respectable like where i can actually like crush competition and like you know no one's gonna get a win on me that they're like oh well yeah i got the win but like he, he you know he was hurt so i've been kind of just waiting i'm not back to 100 by any means but i kind of want to get that monkey off my back because i also recognized you know the longer you go without competing like the the, the more you start to lose your edge and i was starting to build up the expectations of what it would be like when I came back to compete. So I figured if I got kind of a competition out of the way, it would, it's not so much that I felt rusty, like, like on the events, like I'm sure I would improve now that I've done a couple in competition. Like I just remember like how to warm up. Uh, but I think it was more the expectation because it's, you know, I've been waiting almost three years. And then if I do my first show back and it doesn't go as planned, now I'm really crushing my hopes and dreams or whatever. But if I, but if, but if I do one now and I do one in three months or six months or a year, it's only been a year since I've done it. So I haven't built up that expectation. So it was kind of like letting myself relax and like potentially make mistakes, uh, you know, and honestly have fun. It's a, there's a local show that I won 12 years ago and just everybody there. I, I mean, I've bumped into in the strongman scene, you know, multiple times since then. So it, it was, it's a good, a good show to kind of just, you know, get my feet wet again and kind of, reevaluate where i'm going forward so do you think do you think after doing this like kind of tune up show coming back do you do you want to compete more again are you you know where are you at with that after this are you kind of still just reevaluating yeah no it was really fun to compete and you know i i do so well in a competitive environment like you know i get the high you know adrenaline endorphins all the caffeine everything you know just amped up uh but definitely crushed me after this i was surprised how much it crushed me after the show um, I, you know, uh, I didn't really get really peaked or hyped for the show as far as like, uh, really specializing for it, but it still, it still crushed me, but yeah, no, I'd, I'd like to compete again. Um, it's just hard when you've competed at a high level, like sometimes it's not, it's fun, but like obviously doing a lifetime PR is always going to feel better. Right. Uh, there are a couple of events that like, I just like doing anyways. Like, I, I mean, I love loading stones. I mean, like, like when that clicks, that always feels good. Uh, and for like the moving events, I, as long as I'm moving fast. So I felt like I was moving pretty quick, but it'd be hard for me to see a deterioration of my speed. Cause that's just like so much of the type of athlete that I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm not done competing. I've told people I'm not really done competing. It's just, I probably won't compete as, uh, often or, or as seriously. It kind of yeah. depends. Like, like, a, like an OSG or something like that. Can you see yourself returning to that level? You know? Yeah, OSG is definitely the show that I like the most uh, and is the least biased towards competitors. I mean, a lot of the shows are biased towards each federation, the sponsors, people that own the companies. I mean, I don't care what you say, but sure, they're all biased. I mean, even OSG has a bias towards Americans. I mean, it's hosted in America. Uh, I know people don't want to say that because if, if they win a title, they they don't want to uh, devalue their title. But, I mean, I'll say it. Like, if, if you win an American show with the majority of American athletes – with events that are very Americanized. In other words, like there are events that we do often and they might not do as often. You most absolutely had a bias. Um, and unless you destroy the competition handily, and that's assuming the competition is uh, stacked. So assuming right. they had international guys, it's not, it's not going to be as, as much of an achievement. That's not knocking anyone. It's really just, no, right. that's just the nature of strongman. So if I come back, I'm going to do a show that's probably easily accessible to me. So OSG is really close to my house. 
um, and easy to get into as far as the qualifying uh, and something I'm very familiar with the format. I'm not going to be surprised by the, how they format or warm up or do anything at that show. Yeah. It's just funny. Cause I just, I just think about you saying like, it's just an easy show to get into, you know? And like for a lot of people that can be like, their goal is just to qualify for OSG. You know what I mean? No, I'm, I'm not not. See, no, no, I, I know that I'm just yeah. you're a high level athlete. I mean, it, you well, know, I, I, I don't want to ever sound elitist. I mean, there's definitely levels to any sport. Um, but I almost have more respect. You know, I, I went to a local show. I almost have more respect for a lot of those guys that do it because most of them are very self-aware. They're very aware of like what their potential is and where they're going. Uh, there are a couple of people who are delusional at like a local level. Like, you know, you know, they think they're going to world's strongest man and they've only done three shows. And that, that annoys me. Uh, I mean, I, I was at teenager that yelled that too, but most of them are very aware, you know, they have a, a full-time job, you know, maybe they, a wife or stable relationship, they know, you know, they like to lift weights and they like to be a little stronger. And if they win some shows, that's great. And that's the type of stable person that can stay in the sport very long. Uh, but a lot of the elite guys, including myself, like, I mean, we're really neurotic or really want to like go hard at it. And, and a lot of times we kind of kill the joy from the sport um, because, you know, like I said, I always want to be better than the last time. I'm not really enjoying it. I'm just trying to one up my own. I'm, I'm either trying to one up my own performances or one up other competitors. So sure. Well, that's so if that's someone's goal to get the OSG, but by no means am I discrediting it. It's just I want to just point out no, that right. everybody's got to be self-aware of where they're at and not amp it up too much. You know, if you qualify for OSG, that's different than being a top 10. That's different than winning a title. But sometimes it's all put in one category like, oh, I'm an OSG competitor. I'm like, well, you were, but there are a little bit of levels to it. Yeah. So that you kind of mentioned <clears throat> something there. It, it, brought up a question I want to ask you did the show you did this past week, you did it 12 years ago. So you're a pretty young guy still. And, and you've been competing oh, good. as long as pretty much anyone, you know, you've been around for so long. Um, you know, what's it been like, how long would you say since your first show, how long has it been? I did my first show September, 2009. I started training like strongman events, you know, like a lot of stuff. So a lot of people don't know because, you know, the, I mean, you own a gym and you have tons of strongman stuff. So people will just come to your gym and pay your membership. So they don't really know like the ins and outs, like old school strongman. Yeah. And you getting to catch up with old school guys. Like, it's just funny. Like some of the stories we have, uh, but a lot of, pretty much everything was, is ho was homemade. I mean, you would go to Lowe's or Home Depot to find most of the equipment. And it was just like getting clever or finding clever ways to do things they did on World Strongest Man on TV. Uh, and even some of the events on World Strongest Man on TV were more, uh extravagant you know it wasn't just straight up you know we're going to push this we're going to pull this and we're going to you know it was like weird objects right so i probably started doing like weird object lifting and like odd object lifting and just diy this probably like early 2008 so what's that now about 16 years wow. i've been doing some type of odd lifting um and then compete in 2009 uh, that show is uh in march of 2010 and that kind of just uh you know, being around a competitive group, you know, winning a teenage class and it kind of just showed, Hey, like I'm, I'm clearly doing something right to be better than a bunch of teenagers. And then, so I kind of just, it just progressed like anything, you know, I tried to win all the teen classes. And then once I did that, I tried to win like the middleweight men's. And then once I did that at a local level, I tried to win the heavyweight men's. And by that point I was already kind of like a national level competitor. So then it's go to nationals and then it's like, you know, try to qualify the Arnold and then it was try to get, you know, on the podium. And then it was try to win my pro card. So in a lot of ways, it did kind of progress just like up the hierarchy of of a sport. You know, I just grew into it. Right. Yeah, I think I think one uh, common common thing I hear from people who have been in it as long as you is the accessibility to not only equipment, like you mentioned, but shows like you hear mm -hmm. people say, you know, like they would drive, you know, seven hours was like considered like a they're like, oh, hey, this show is only seven hours away, right. you know, and now it's like you go on Iron Podium, there's like eight shows a weekend. And, right. it's, you know, it's incredible. It's good. You know, it's growing and it's more accessible to everyone. Um, but I'm sure there's still aspects of the old school stuff that was cool to you that you yeah. probably miss, you know. I'm kind of like a hybrid. Like I really like I just recently started training indoors a lot of the events and like I really like not having to worry about the weather and like like being able to set up farmers is so much easier. We're not like wheeling plates down on a hand truck down a, a driveway into the, you know, into the street and then cars are trying to, you know, drive by you. So those types of things that I don't, I don't miss those. Yeah. But I think what I miss is, or what I notice is I go, to, I go to gyms where 
you know, somebody's paying 40, 50, 60 bucks a month to train strongman events and they've never put their hands on like concrete to make a stone. And if you've ever made stones, like if you try to make a stone properly, you're trying to jam as much concrete in there as possible. So the top half of the mold is just as round as the bottom because you don't want an egg shaped stone. And to do that, you have to get concrete under, underneath your fingernails. It, oh. it, it, it's inevitable and it hurts. And, you know, and you're in the shower, like for the next three days, trying to get all this crap out. But like, it's something about doing it yourself. And when you make that stone, you take it out and then you, you know, for, like for how I, I learned from Steve Slater, he's supposed stuff, but like, you know, you keep the stone wet for a little while so it doesn't get dust and then you seal it. So it's, it's almost like, like a, a passion project. Like that stone becomes oh. like very, like every stone I've made, is like, it'd be hard for me to sell them. It really would. Cause I've used them so often. I, I mean, they're all handmade. They're all at a, like, I remember exactly what weights I put into them. I bought old weights. So I don't think people nowadays respect that as much. And I love that it's accessible, but man, when you don't have to like, you know, I mean, you hear guys back in the day, like talking about having to like ride their bike to the gym or walk to the gym or, or they had to like, you know, sweep the floors to really get a free membership. Like anything that creates that type of accountability just makes that person better. But now it's just like, Oh yeah, I pay 40 bucks. And I, you know, I go to a gym with commercial stuff, but then there's strongman events in the corner. I do those too. Yeah. And it's, it, it'll just, it'll just never be the same. Yeah. Never be the same. I feel the same way. Uh, we've made almost like I've made almost all my stones at the gym and we have, you know, a pretty full set and it's, you do just look at them differently. You know, it's like the, the deadlift platforms that are at my gym. Now we made them for my garage when I was training in the garage and I made them with my dad, you know? Yeah. So it just, it just means a lot more. So I definitely know what you mean. I think yeah. I was a garage lifter for, for a while before I opened a gym and, I think you and I deal with complete different elements because you're Florida. So you're super hot and then we're Pennsylvania, super cold, but I don't, that's one thing I do not miss. I'm no, I am pampered now with my gym. I'm and everyone in it. It doesn't realize how spoiled they are. Cause I got the, you know, winter time, I got the heat up to 68 and, you know, uh, summer, we got the AC on. They, you yeah. Know, so. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny. Like, I want people like, I want, there to be some of that as like a vetting process, but by no means I want to go back to training like that. I right. think my training's only going to get better. The more access I have to like, uh, AC and like really controllable conditions. Um, it's just that in those controllable conditions, you find people that aren't as like, uh, in the sport. Cause like, you know, they're not, it's, it's been easy to them. So like when I have, when I talk stories about other competitors, it's like all this, like, you know, events changing in the middle of the competition or like, dumb stuff we rigged up at our house to train for events. It's just, it's nice to hear those stories, man. This yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's <laughs> one thing. It's one thing me and some of the guys I train around have been talking about is making training more like a strongman show. Um, you know, just saying, Hey, you got to walk up to the log right now, or Hey, you got to do that deadlift right now. Just for the, the variety, the stuff that happens at a strongman show, unless you've done it a bunch, you don't, you can't really mimic it because it always is changing and you lift when the judges tell you to lift and the, or the promoter or whatever. It's just training under your own conditions nonstop and not getting out of your comfort zone, I think can really hurt some people who aren't necessarily, I, I use the term gamers. A lot of people right. aren't gamers. They, they get to a show and they kind of shut down because they're so far out of their comfort zone. So I think making it's important to make training harder than the competition. A lot of yeah, you have to, yeah, you have to recognize that personality. Like, I think I'm very much a gamer. Like it's very easy for me. I mean, it's not easy. I mean, I'm nervous. I get all the same things, but it's, it's something about, I mean, it's how much I've competed, but it's just so much easier for me to, to turn on. Like when I hear my name and, you know, and they blow the whistle, it's just like I'm there. Um, but when I like training clients or just being around people, I train, I agree with you. Like if you're training in a facility, that makes it very hard. Like you're already having difficulty staying focused, but you're in a really advantageous situation. Like there are times I purposely go drive to the gym and train an event. They might not be as ideal on all accounts. Like maybe it's like slightly better equipment, but like I'm more distracted or like the focal point changes on log, you know, cause it's, it's like not in my garage where it's like nine feet. It's now like warehouse ceilings or it's outside. Yeah. So doing things like that, or even training with like, you know, if you go try the training crew, you're obviously not using, your same atlas stone so now this stone's dustier this stone has a you know has a weird thing on one side or so yeah it's definitely i think it it's a mix it's like early on you want to keep things as standardized as possible and you want to make progress and then once you start learning the skills and you want to try to like be able to apply them with variation uh and then once you've competed enough you want to be able to pull back on that because like obviously a, a more seasoned competitor is going to get hurt 
like you're just gonna get hurt if you compete every weekend. And I think that's the maturity aspect. Cause like when I was younger, I would agree 100% with you. Like you have to compete. Like you got to find ways, you know, to beat your training partners. But now I almost like, I don't say I purposely lose in the gym, but if someone were to challenge me, I'm not going to try to beat them. Cause like nothing you do in the gym is ever going to compare, you know, to in a competition. It's just knowing what you need to do in the gym that gets you ready for the competition. Sure. So, and all those, and all those, I mean, I've talked forever on this is all this is so related to, you know, personality and training background and how someone acquires skills. I mean, some people need to practice a skill every week to maintain it. And then other people, they just seem to just hold on to it. Maybe it's, it's, it's a mental function. Maybe they're visualizing it more. Uh, so it's very dependent on, on person to person. Yeah. There's, and, and some people, the reality is everybody's different, right? You have people that are just at the end of the day, you know, you can work as hard as them and they're going to beat you. You know, like there's just yeah. some people that are like that. There's just people that are very athletic. And they can go up and like you're their first time doing a sandbag. They look like they've been doing it for, you know, however many years. And that's that person, you know, it, that's just how it is. So definitely agree with you. One thing I've got from since you've been coaching me is you do a lot of like time sets. Um, so like, you know, it'll have a recommended rest. And that's kind of uh, instead of um, like having to like compete with someone, that's kind of like my own competition, like. 90 second rest, 60 second rest, whatever. It gets me out of my comfort zone instead of taking, you know, I do own the gym. So I get distracted a lot. You know, someone's keypad doesn't work. The cable machine broke, something like that. So that really keeps me focused and on task, setting my timer going. And and I think that recently has helped me a lot. So yeah. Yeah. Emoms. I mean, emoms are great for skill acquisition because you can use a, like a lower, percentage and then you really don't have time to fool around on your phone you know if, if that thing's going off in 40 seconds like all you want to do is just like sit there and look at it and like stare at it and visualize what you're going to do sure. and, and a lot of times I, I don't know if you ever like there's interviews from like guys or not really interviews but there's videos like older powerlifters where like they wouldn't like training partners would just load all their weights like they never pick up the weight and i think it's a huge benefit is if the last thing that you remember is doing the the event and not picking up a weight, not picking up your phone, not talking to someone. Like your mind is so much more in tune to making small corrections. So all, one of the reasons I don't train with people, especially on like overhead press, is I'm, I mean, I'm decently strong at it. But I was changing the weights so often. The last thing I was doing was giving someone else input as opposed to thinking the small adjustments I need to make, you know, in my stance or like in the speed of how I was pressing. So um, with like EMOMs and time rest, it really keeps you focused and keeps you focused on making those small adjustments set to set. And those prescriptions, like you got to benefit from it, but I definitely have clients that like, they don't like it maybe. Uh, I think it's just because you understand the intent. Like you get that, like you're staying focused or like you even trying to beat yourself. Like if it's speed work or even form work, like you're trying to, you're trying to create change from set to set. And that's something I do. And that's why I think, programming is so interesting because you can give two people the same exact programming that is applicable to them, but how they focus or what intent they put into it is going to reap so much uh, different benefits. Um, because I might give you like, I mean, I, I don't know if I've given you particularly for circus dumbbell, but I give a couple of my clients like 20 or 30% of their max. And that's like 20 total reps for form. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking like a 50 pound dumbbell for some of the guys <laughs> or even less and some people be like, oh, what the heck? I'll never get better at that. But I'll tell you what, like if you practice with like a very lightweight and you just keep like envisioning what you're doing and making small adjustments to your stance and you can find your power position with 30 pounds, man, like when it gets to 200 or 250 or whatever the weight someone's using, like you've gotten so much more learning and it costs you nothing because yeah. you just, you know, this, you're not like you're, sore. You're literally reiterate, like you're like doing a like a psychological dive into my brain from yesterday because i had my first day since i hurt my back i had my first day of doing push press again like out of the rack because i've been keeping everything like seated z press all that right. stuff. and um it was just speed work but put the phone down i set a timer and like really put all my thought into it again like you know like my elbow positioning every single set changed it like not change it but just uh, improved on it a little bit. And my, right. my pause in the dip, I was challenging myself, do three seconds, do even like four seconds a little bit. this right. time. And, and it just, I tell you what, hurting my back, it, it made me so appreciative of it. I'm lucky it wasn't a major injury, but it made me so appreciative of being able to train, you know, you realize right. how much you just love going to the gym and 
and doing all this, like I had so much fun this last like two weeks now that I've been like doing stuff again. I don't feel handicapped. Like push press yesterday was like the happiest I've been in like months training. That's Maybe good, like, man. It just felt it just felt so good. So like that's what you're saying. I was like competing against myself yesterday, trying to make my reps as fast and and just an explosive and perfect as possible every time. So maybe yeah, maybe take and, the injury and make it a positive, you know? Oh, definitely. I mean, definitely. I think it's funny because, I mean, obviously I get to see all your comments and stuff. It's the first time we talk, like, you know, I think we talked on the phone. But, you know, first time, we, you know, we we're kind of talking about it. Um, but it's uh, it's not that I know anything. It's like I honestly don't know that much about rehab for, like, every particular injury. I think it's just some of the, you know, is keeping the athlete – understand that they're capable of doing stuff it's scaling it back in a way and even if you look at the programming like it's not crazy like you know we started off going really slow and then we moved you know then we move like the bar placement and now we're going from tempo to pauses i mean we're doing very basic progressions and like i'm not even saying i'm doing the right thing there might be other physical therapists or coach not that i'm a physical therapist but sure. there might be physical therapists or coaches that would do something differently but i think the fact that one we're able to scale it you're able to do something and you believe in it, like it's going to feel better because oh, I think so much of back pain, I'm not saying yours is purely psychological, but I know for me, it's very psychological. It's mental. Oh, state. 100%. Yeah. So like if, if, if the week after you did nothing and we came back too quick and then you immediately got pain, like we might be getting pain off the reaction to the pain. That's not the injury. Right. So, yeah. So, like, so the fact that we can do anything is just, is awesome progress. Well, yeah. And like when you go from, when I, when I got hurt, you know, you're, I'm, my body's guarding it. So I couldn't like do little things that I'm used to doing like hip hinge, bend down, right. put my socks on. So you're right. It was mental. And I think by like that Wednesday, we were already, you know, I got hurt on Saturday, flew home Sunday. And by like middle of the week, we're already back training. And for me, right. like doing what we can, I think a big mistake is people get hurt. You know, strongman, our injury rates, I, I don't know what our injury rate is, but I'm sure it's pretty high between bicep tears, back injuries. See, it's funny to see, see people, uh, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but uh, I follow some other pages. And as far as, like, I think strongman's higher than, like, general weightlifting, like, in the gym, right? But sure. I'm sure based on, like, hours of training, it's not crazy high. It's just all the injuries are more, like, shock value high. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, I tore my, you know, I tore my knee or whatever. That's the only, like, major injury I've had. I've had tons of, like, you know, muscle belly, muscle belly tears and things like that. And honestly, like, if I was training bodybuilding or I was doing, like, more recreational lifting, I probably would have had zero injuries. I would have gone to the chiropractor a couple times. I would have gone to a physical therapist a couple times. And that would have been about it. Yeah. Because so many of these things, like, are just not as – you're not being hit by uh, a person. You know, yeah. It's not boxing or football or something. And sure. – when you're doing like bodybuilding training, especially like it's, it's a controlled environment. Like that machine, if the gym is put together properly, like the cable is going to stay attached, the arm's going to swing where it's supposed to swing. The weights weigh what they weigh, you know? Yeah. I, I guess mean, perspectively, it's probably yeah. a lot lower than like, and, I, and, and I'm not trying to disagree with you. I'm just saying, like, no, no, I, that's a good point. I think the only reason that, that, so I get into that with people I'm not into it, but I see it a lot with, cause I did, do, I do, I did do a bodybuilding show and, uh, uh, I train in a more bodybuilding bias gym and I see the, you know, the, the back, you know, like a lot of bodybuilders are worried about hurting their back. Cause you know, obviously that's not a thing they need to demonstrate on stage, right? They don't need to demonstrate they can deadlift. Right. Um, so like back knees, a uh, little bit of shoulders, but ironically, I think bodybuilders actually do really well on shoulder stuff because they balance out a lot of their pressure movements. Like they're doing all different angles and stuff and they have such high volume. I think they develop a great amount of work capacity for upper body. Uh, so I think that's why maybe from observational perspective, it's not as big of a deal for them. Um, but I, but I hear about those pains and things and I think it's, uh, I'm sorry, I lose my train of thought. I think it's more related to just like the fact that strong men have to max out on those and strong men have to do like, uh, very uncontrolled movements. But if you're a bodybuilder, you can do very controlled deadlifts, very controlled squats. You can use hack squats where you're stable, you know, yeah. stable. So the, the part that's dangerous about strongman is competing and competing is dangerous because you're peaked. And when you're peaked, you're stronger than you've ever been. And then it's, it's literally like me as the coach or, or the person throwing the show is like here free reign and yeah. you go ham. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and just the natural, yeah. Like the natural aspect of competition, right? Like if you and I are 
like we're at a competition versus each other and you pick up a heavy Atlas stone and I'm up next. I want to pick up that heavy Atlas stone to beat right. you. That's human nature, you know, and when versus if we're in the gym, I may say, okay, I don't have that Atlas stone today. You know, you know, your body pretty right. well. So you're, but I'm still going to try it most of the time because I'm at a competition and that's kind of your time to sell out. Right. You know? But I think with injuries, I think one mistake that people make is just going completely stagnant. You get hurt and like, they're like, Hey, you know, I tore my bicep. I'm not going to do anything for three months, you know, and I'll just come back when there's a lot of stuff that you can do and actually get better. You know, I like, I, I don't know that that was kind of my whole point, but that's a very yeah, be, interesting. That's a very yeah, interesting being active. Yeah. yeah. Being active, man. That's like even going for, a, I'm pretty sure I told you to go for a walk after, you know, really long strides. You're going to treadmill, you know, we're doing the backwards walking on the sled. Yep. I mean, just moving the body around, um, uh, you know, just trying to find something. And then just like you said, like s- switching to other skill sets. So, you know, now we can't load it. So maybe we're going to focus on unilateral movements or balance or, yeah. uh, you know, for, for the case of people that potentially like I got a lower body injury, obviously I had to prioritize upper body for a while. So it was like, how can I improve my bench press or my strict press or, you know, so it's, it's really just like moving around to wherever you can progress. I guess that's kind of life. Like, yeah. uh, I'm not the strongest physically I've ever been. But like I like to think holistically as a person, I've improved in other arenas, and that's allowed me to be at this current point stronger in a sense as a you know as a complete person. I think that's that's the good thing about injury is it really gets you to reflect and uh, oh, uh, yeah. and and kind of reprioritize. Because man, when you're when you're competing, you're peaked and everything. Like it's hard to think clearly, man. You're so in the zone. Yeah, and it, it's so hard psychologically when you get hurt. It's so hard to get out of your own head, like. Just yeah. the bad, just the bad thoughts. Like even a month ago, like, I'm like, dude, I, I feel like I'm not going to deadlift again. You know, like, you know, in your head that you're, you are going to dead, be able to deadlift again, but you're, you just have those bad thoughts in your brain. And it's, uh, I don't know. I, but even like stuff like just walking, like after hurting my back, like I love walking now. I literally <laughs> bought my first pair of shoes in four years. I bought a pair of Skechers walking shoes for $30. Cause like, I like walking now. And my feet started to get yep. sore from wearing Crocs walking long distances. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm, were they I'm, in sport mode? Yeah, I, actually, I'm like an ant. I'm like always out of sport mode. I'm like <laughs> always, always casual mode. But I was doing like five mile walks, and like my feet were hurting, and I was wondering why. And I'm like, yeah, I'm wearing Crocs. So, yeah, I the, I'm a really big fan of like ultra running shoes, mm-hmm. trail shoes, zero drop shoes for uh, for walking, and uh, they actually get a good bit, good amount of wear on them. I mean, I've pretty much is exclusively walk. And I probably walk eh, probably about four miles a day in those particular shoes. And they're not even, I mean, I know people say rotate like six months, but that's always like for like running. Yeah. I'm like walking yeah. and they're already like, they're not even a year old and they're like almost have a hole through them. So I think people underestimate the value of, of walking and also like, you know, having a good pair of shoes because a lot of, a lot of us lifters don't really invest in good shoes for lifting because it's more, you know, you're trying to be close to the ground or barefoot. Sure. But like walk, if you're walking four miles a day, like make sure they're comfortable and make sure, yeah. you know, you don't feel like crap after. Yeah. My, for, I'm curious. So you're, this is just kind of came to my brain, but I'm kind of curious with how you believe with like athletes, like strength athletes. I'm not a big fan of like programming running, like jogging or like, like yeah. long distance running. Cause unless you're trying to do long distance running. Right. Or because I just think the wear and tear it puts on you. I like, like, walks and i like sprints for like my athletes like short rest short distance sprints what are your thoughts on like people that just like strength athletes just like jog uh you know it's kind of mixed because i've kind of done so uh so like if i was thinking about a strength athlete like say a strongman like an open level strongman like probably doesn't need to run but there are gonna be some benefits of some type of maybe aerobic like maybe aerobic running like longer distances but it's it's so dependent it's like how yeah. can they absorb that stress in the lower body like i know for me i started running back in 2014 i weighed about 285 and it hurt but then once i got a little bit better and was conditioned i did rucks and long walks i was able to handle that impact stress and now 285 is not very heavy and i wasn't running more of my major distances till like 265 but it's i lost that weight down to 265 but i think there's there's definitely benefit in like the gait cycle and things like that from running. But yeah, I'm probably going to say for me right now, what I'm doing to maintain aerobic fitness or, or GPP 
is about two or three days a week doing spin bike and then just a ton of walking. And if I didn't have as much mileage on my knee, I would probably consider sprinting or like aggressive sled pushing. I love sled dragging. I kind of count that as like in the walking realm. Um, But no, I I definitely think there's, there's a lot to be gained from aerobic work um, and, and conditioning for those bigger guys. I mean, if anything, it stimulates appetite, it helps recovery, uh, you know, gets a sweat going and you can even sneak it in a little bit into warmups. You know, you can make yourself kind of do your aerobic work first and get really, really warm and get ready and then do some work. Uh, it's not my preferred way to do it. I'd rather do it at the end or on an off day. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't knock running completely. I mean, do I want to program it? It's a 50, 50. Cause you also look at like a lot of these big guys, their sprint mechanics are poor too. Mm-hmm. So like, it's kind of like which one, I think the only reason running gets, I'm less likely to include that is because the amount of mileage required to get the benefit. So sure. sprinting is like Olympic lifting for, it's like Olympic lifting at a young age for a lot of kids. Like, you know, could they, would they benefit from it? Sure. But the amount of time it takes, like for a very part-time unpaid strength yes. coach to teach them Olympic lifting, you're better off doing not Olympic lifting. Yes. Then yes. I agree completely. I say, get them on a spin bike and do spin bike, a long spin bike session and an interval spin bike session. And then maybe like a couple workouts where you're doing like sled drags or some type of like strongman conditioning. Yeah. Sandbag yeah carry. I love, I love sled drags. I, I have a large influence from like Louis Simmons, like coming up like as a powerlifter. And one thing I've noticed is that, um, it's sled drags. They, for many workouts, I can do a lot of it and it doesn't beat me up too bad. Right. You, you had me do sled pushes for a while at the end of workouts that was like a really low rest period. And that was honest to God in the gym, probably the hardest thing I've ever done though. That was <laughs> very, very tough. Yeah, those but, suck. But just a long distance sled drag, I really like it just for like, just for your aerobic capacity kind of. And, and I kind of feel bad writing some of those sled things in like, in your workouts and other people. And I, I feel bad even saying this, but like, I mean, I don't necessarily do all those things anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's also because it's not something that's come up as a major priority right now. So right. like for me, I'm not lo- like, obviously I'm not competing very often, but I wasn't losing based on conditioning and I wasn't losing like foot speed or things like that. Not saying you are, but I'm just saying right, like, right. I wasn't losing those things. So for most people, I'm going to include it because that is something that, like, especially open guys. Like I, if I see a client and they've got any, any amount of a power belly, I'm just going to assume that they're, that they don't have as much endurance. And now once they demonstrate to me that they're like freaking great athletes and they just like have a little extra fat there, then I might pull back. Or if they're trying to recover for major event sessions, then I pull back. Um, But in general, that's somewhere where people lack. Uh, And if I can make them do it uh, in the program, then the better. And then honestly, probably half the people probably lie and don't do it anyways. So it doesn't matter. Uh, well, I want to segment fully into this because we're kind of we're kind of leaning this way now. Let's talk about you co- as a coach. So you're coaching. You can find it on Instagram. I believe it's just first called strength, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and first um, called strength and performance. And um, uh, I'll I'll let you talk about it. But hiring you as my coach, not to not to give you too big of a head, but it's been the best decision <laughs> I've made since starting Strongman. Like you bounce around with different coaches, and I'm not trying to knock anyone, but you don't realize like how good a coach can be until you really find someone that you kind of uh, just collaborate well with. And mm-hmm. you, I'm not saying you have to agree with their coaching methods, but just someone you get along with and that you can, you feel good about in general. And right. just the attention to detail that, that you've put, that you put into with your clients, at least me um, is it's unmatched. It's incredible. And I, oh, I, I appreciate you, that. I've told you that before and you made the comment that kind of stood out to me. You just treat your clients how you would want a coach to treat you. Right. So it's like, I I can use an example. So clash qualifiers happened, I believe. uh, When was that? Like October or November, something like that. No, no, wait. Oh no. February. Yeah. February. Yeah. That's right. Jeez. I was way off. But, um, and it was it was unique because it was like the CrossFit style where we got the events. We got the events Thursdays at four o'clock, like on the nuts, four o'clock. And then we had to turn them in Sunday. So you would literally like you and I would be DMing. We would wait until exactly 4 p.m. when they would release because I do my overhead sessions on Thursday. So you're like, if it's right. an overhead, you're going to do it today. Or if it's something that makes sense, you're going to do it today. And then if not, do it Saturday. You would kind of give me some advice of if I wanted to retest something. Right. It was just 
to get a coach to do that, like that level of individualized stuff is kind of amazing. So it's just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I tr- uh, like, I'm never going to say I'm a great coach and even some of the layouts, like, I mean, I, I use a trainer row cap. Uh, so it allows me to kind of update whenever I want. So that's why I don't have a check-in day. I probably could get a lot more done, have more clients, like just handle more people. If I just did all of them on the weekend and kind of didn't really evaluate them during the week. Uh, but I also don't really want them all on one day anyway. So it kind of benefits me as well as the client. But in the case of like the clash and like me to adjust things, like it just makes sense um, because obviously like you're going to be texting me regardless about who are the qualifiers. So I'm just not even going to bother programming until I know. Right. Um, and yeah, so like I don't necessarily think I'm the best coach as far as like long-term programming or things like that. I just try to create like momentum and like belief. And like, honestly, like there's sometimes I, I don't want to say I don't know what we're doing the next week. But I don't necessarily have a long-term plan because one thing I've noticed with like online clients or maybe just the nature of people that hire online clients is sometimes like stuff happens, you know, like, you know, they have an operation or they get hurt or like they decide to pull out of that show. And I feel like what ends up happening is coaches put a lot of time in the long-term planning, which you should, but they almost put too much in the long-term and they forget how much is to be gained in like the, the, the communication in the short term and making someone feel good, like they're winning each workout. So I have very type A clients that like, honestly, I'm just trying to manage the stresses they have and try to keep them focused and, you know, uh, and not let them get run away when they have like one, like one bad workout, yeah. you know, or making adjustments based on that. Um, yeah. And I think what you got is, is having that stuff changed up is just like what I would want. Like I'm a very needy client when I work with coaches and I've worked with about a half dozen and it's, you know, some of them, like I work with Mike Westerling. I'll just always point out him being probably the best, but he's just one of the best communicators. And by no means is he like a bad coach, but I, I do think that his program is very basic. And I think the reason it works is it's basic. So it's e- easy to apply, but then he is so on top of communication that you're bought into it. So like it might only be three exercises or four exercises and it might be only one top set, but you're so bought into that. You get so much more benefit than someone who's like all sciencey and tracks everything like the volume and like, Oh yeah, this is a PR for volume. Like I, I kind of can see those things in, in the programming sure. and I do track some of those things, but I, I kind of think of it as like just one piece of the puzzle. Like, it can't be the whole thing. I'm see you hit the nail on the head with me. Like, and I'm sure it's some people just enjoy having a coach and getting their workouts on Sunday night and then just getting their next workout the next Sunday night and, and updating Excel sheet. But I'm so much different. Like I like a coach that communicates. Yeah. And I like, I like someone that I have an open forum to just discuss with. And, um, with you, it's just super easy. Like, um, and, and typically every exercise, it's not just like a workout. Like when I log into your app, it'll have for a lot of workouts it'll have like a, um, like a paragraph explaining if there's something out of the ordinary or something you want me to accomplish that day, you know, like, right. Hey, be careful. Don't overshoot on this overhead or something like that. But then every exercise I click within the app will have a description. So, you know, it'll say like, you know, five count tempo, don't rush this um, pause at the top, you know, st- stuff like that. So I'm a communication guy. I like that. And so I, th- I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely learned that from one, what I like and how I think. And also, you know, from from the coaches I've, you know, it's it's nothing's new. We're all mixing things we've seen. It's just trying to put into a package that helps the person. Um, but, yeah, I think the app has also helped out a lot. The app makes it very easy for people to track. Um, and that helps over the Excel spreadsheet. I've never been a big fan of Excel spreadsheet. Um, but, but, but just to kind of be on the other side of the coaching thing, uh, the type of people that fit really well with that getting things on Sunday are definitely like the more type A people that always do their, you know, they always do workout one on the same day, workout two, three, four, you know, not moving the days. They're always sending like a little bit of video, you know, and, and I love those clients. And it's funny. Uh, those are the people that require the least amount of work because it just flows yeah. and it clicks. Like you're not, like I, I don't want to say people are like a hard client to have or not a hard client, but like a lot of the workouts you have are, are very easy for me other than maybe like injury. We have to think about it, sure. but because you do the workouts and you put intent to them, my job as a coach is so easy. Um, and I find that with the majority of my clients, it's like that, man. It's just, if, if you do the work, the coach likes it. The coach is more excited to update it. And then it just like snowballs yeah. to the point. I got some clients. I'm like, shoot, I haven't heard from him or her in like a week, but they're killing it because I don't really need to, because they're so they're, they're at that point they're coaching themselves. And yeah. that's, and that's the beauty of coaching is when they get to the point when they, you know, they, they don't need to check in on everything, but, but they communicate just enough and they don't communicate to the point. They just like, paralysis by analysis you know they're just yeah, so worried sure. 
Sure. I have a, I have a question. This is really random, but it just came to my brain. So people, I, I always train at the same exact time, like every single day, same day of the week, no, yeah. like pretty much no matter what, like pending, you know, like I'm running a show or something, I'll just train later that night. Do you think there's a benefit like genuinely as a coach? So say like my next big goal is nationals, strongman corp nationals. Like that's right. my next big thing on my, and like, if it comes out, I'm going to be trained. Um, my events will be starting at 9 a.m. Do you think there's an actual benefit to training, like switching your workouts to train at 9 a.m. when you get close? Or do you think that's almost like overthinking it? No, I, I think there is a benefit. And I remember, uh, I think Brian Shaw talked about doing that. And then uh, I remember reading some small paper in college, so however long ago, eight years ago it was, about like, I think it was like a basketball team. And they said that people that trained at 7 a.m., again, it was a small study, uh, were, were more likely to, to like power output like they like they did better if, if they normally worked out like early in the morning they did better as a total like whether they did the testing at 10 a.m 1 p.m 4 p.m you know where the times were but the people that trained later when it came to being like getting up excessively early for them it was harder so i think to answer that in general train when you're going to be the most like comfortable but then potentially getting closer to the show try to adapt to get up early but I would even go so far as just as long as your sleep schedule allows you to be awake by that time. So if your contest is at nine, you're probably going to want to be up at least two hours for the contest. Like minimum, you're going to eat a meal. So seven. So like if your sleep schedule is normally getting up at nine and then training at say 11, you could keep it at 11, but try to move that, that wake time. Like the wake time is probably more important yeah. than when you train. So like, for example, like I like to eat like two or three meals before I train, usually four during the week, maybe on the weekend, I only do two or three because i'm like amped up ready to go to the gym um but like obviously in a contest i might eat one meal and like a snack but i think it's just i try to keep my wake time normal and then i also have to mentally think like when it's contest day like i don't need to eat as much i already have like tons of glycogen from the night before uh usually hitting caffeine a little sooner trying to get the rhythm you know get things moving but yeah i would say be up just for two hours for the competition is the general recommendation Uh, i think some people the people that struggle to perform early in the morning you can look to obviously sleep, sleep throughout the week, not so much the day before uh, at the time they wake up and then maybe even prep the day of. So if you're getting up and you're just like going straight to the contest site, like maybe get up, have some time to have like, you know, have some coffee or caffeine, you know, go for a quick 10 minute walk, you know, get warm, eat breakfast, do some stretching, you know, hot shower. Like, I mean, I take a hot shower like right before, you know, right before I warm up for a contest, like just get awake. Yeah. Like do stuff that would stimulate you to be awake in general. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, uh, I'm typically pretty big on my sleep schedule, but I got a puppy the same time I <laughs> you did. And it, mine is a, uh, I'm not, she's not the best for sleep. She's horrible right now. So oh, man, I'm, uh, it's a little bit bigger than your dog. I got a black lab and it's uh, worth it though. Will Sebastian isn't in here right now, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think he's taking a nap. He's, he, he's very much about his recovery. He's yeah. Just... So is actually, <laughs> She's taking, uh, <laughs> she's taking a nap recovering right now. So good. Very rare moment of silence for me, but yeah. Um, well, that's cool. I just, if people are interested in inquiring about training, how would you like them to go about it? Um, I mean, they can hit me up on, on Instagram. A running strongman is, is my personal one. I have that business one as well called first called strength. Uh, and then I also have my website too. They can, uh, they can contact me through there, which is also first called strength.com. Um, but yeah, I, I have openings for a few more clients. Like I said, I'm trying to keep, I'm trying to keep it to where I have a lot of individual attention with the client. So I'm, I'm, I'm not quite at that cap, but I, I want to always be that coach that can respond uh, to every, every question and make sure, you know, there's, there's good communication. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm yeah, telling you, if you're listening right now and you're in the market for a coach, I don't think you'll regret it, but I think too, some people, I don't know if I'm repeating myself, but I think sometimes people, um, they get stuck with one coach and they're very like, I don't want to say afraid, but hesitant to change their coach because that's how they, what they know. It's like their first coach. And, yeah. and then like, once you get someone that you really kind of mesh well with, I think you'll like, you won't regret it at all. So if you guys are in the market, I'd say hit up Andrew for sure. And, and, uh, run some I mean, stuff it's, it's funny. I, I, I'm, I agree with that. And then also once you find someone that understands you, like also remember that, that rapport 
takes time to build. So that's probably yeah. the big, I, I see it. My nutrition coach made an example on his YouTube recently, but he's like, when, when prepping for a bodybuilding show, you know, they have to come in and they have to be a certain amount of like, you know, water depleted, you know, they're trying to peak them. Right. Just like a strength coach trying to peak them. And like, to be honest, like you mess up some of the peaks sometimes because you don't know that client. So like the first time a client's peaking for a show, like if I train them like me and they recover faster, they're going to be detrained. If I train them like me and they recover slower, they're going to be overtrained. So that first time you peak or first contest you do with a coach might not be your best one. But remember, that's also a learning experience for your coach. Like your coach has never worked with you. Uh, now that said, if you've done like a dozen competitions with the same coach and the same problems keep coming up, then definitely like switch or if the same communication problems, I would probably yeah. say communication is the biggest one. If, if your yeah. coach is, is not able to peak you well, but they're also not communicating with you well, that's a good sign to switch. Um, but if it's, if it's things that you just haven't brought to, brought to your coach's attention, then I'm going to err on the side of the coach and be, be like, Hey, bring them up, see if they adjust them. And then yeah, make a switch. Cause there's plenty of people out there that have a different viewpoint and it might be able to help you with that. Definitely. I, I think the last thing I'll say about coaching too, I imagine it's probably a lot more frustrating as an online coach. Like I have people in person that I just kind of help like gym members and stuff like yeah. that. And like, you know, you'll be like, okay, do an RP eight. And then you very quickly realize how different, even though RP eight is just means two reps remaining. And, but you very quickly realize how much different that can mean to an individual. They like right. to, you know, like we have a guy that's on our podcast, the guy that produces and edits it. His name's Dante. He's very bad at comprehending RP. You know, like he's just, he's a very overconfident guy and he'll hit, he'll hit like a 10 second rep and he'll call it an RPA, you know? And like, I imagine as an online, sounds like with, me, like with a, <laughs> like with a, like you'll see like a client's video and you'll be like, dude, this is supposed to be an RP seven, you know? And like, you shit your pants. Yeah. I'm sure that can be frustrating at times or just kind of eye opening. I, I, uh, I, I guess again, sometimes I feel very amateur and like, th these are just the ways I've, I've thought of ways to catch that a really good one for me that I catch usually pretty early is like, I give somebody like 85% for reps and especially with like a lift, like say strict press. So there's not much technical efficiency. It's not like, Oh yeah, his leg drive is off or something like that. But 85% is going to be somewhere between, you know, four to eight reps. If you're really good at maxing out, like maybe you only get four, but it's upper body lift. So usually guys get five, six, seven, eight. And that's what I'm expecting. And I might even say like, leave one in the tank. So when I get someone that comes back to me at 85% and they only get three, then either they got a too high of a training max or they're just like, uh, or they're too over, like, or they gate or they made it a max that they're, they're not really capable of hitting any, any given day. Right. Yeah. They're right. Overconfident in their max ability. So, so I might run the same program that I was thinking about running, but now I just remind myself, Hey, if I'm thinking 80%, maybe give them 75 or like, if I'm thinking, you know, I just kind of lower it. So that's, that's one way I see personality. And then I also see it like where, on one week, I'll tell them to leave like reps in, like reps remaining, reps in reserve. So how many are remaining? Uh, and the next week, I'll give them like RPE, and I might see a discrepancy. Like when I tell them to leave two reps in the tank, and then the next week I say work up to like an eight RP at this rep range. If there's a big difference, then I know that either they're really poor at being able to tell how many reps they have in the tank, or they're very overconfident in their RPE. So it's not so much that they have to, like a person's RPE is their RPE. Like obviously we can't judge it because we didn't feel the weight as a coach, right. but then I can take it and interpret it as like, if I give you an eight and it's looking like a nine, then I won't give you as many eights. I'll give you more sevens because then I know they're going to escalate up into being eight. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So that is, that is one thing. Like, like people will ask me like, how did that look for my RP? It's like, RP is rate of perceived exertion. Like, you right. know how, like I can look at it and I'm sure you can look at it and say, okay, that was probably, but people just have different ways of grinding through lifts. You know, like the guy I've trained with the last, God knows how long I've been training around him, but he can, he can grind a 10 second deadlift, but if he gets it for a single, he's getting it for a triple. That's just, he's just, he's right. just an idiot like that. Like he's just like, you know, so everyone's and just you're different. And you're more that type that's just super explosive and it either it tears off the floor or it doesn't. Yeah, right. Yeah. And everyone's see, so, different. So like see, that's why I found it funny. Like, like when you got it's not a knock on you, but I figured since we talked about earlier, you know, since you got hurt, I kind of figured, yeah, you kind of ran into finally that point where like you just couldn't go fast and your body just maybe compensate a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly how I am. Like 
things look like they could be an RP seven until they're not. Yeah. Isn't that, it's the most yeah. frustrating thing on earth when someone tells me like, Oh dude, you got another, you, you've got another rep or you got another 45 pounds. I'm like, bro, I don't like, I'm yeah. going to, I live fast. Like that's how but I, that's live. the better after. I feel like that's the better athlete in general for strongman is explosive is, I mean, maybe not so much now with some of these static shows like the Arnold and, you know, stuff like that, but like definitely for like amateur top level, like top over amateur or like early pro, like mm -hmm. being explosive and making things look effortless all the time is just, I don't know. I just yeah. like seeing that. And it usually also means the person has better, I shouldn't make a generalization, but especially if the person has good mobility, it's even better because that means they can apply that speed in the range that they need to like hit a circus yeah. dumbbell or a log. So like when you see that, you're like, oh man, this guy's peaked. It sucks like when you're a grinder and you have bad mobility because then if it gets out of groove, you're not only grinding the rep, but like you're gonna lose it because you know it's all yeah, just all over the yeah. place. So and and in strongman, just the nature of this sport is you have to train like a heavy load under such different varieties of uh, range of motion. So yep. like you know you're training, you're picking something off like the genuine floor, like an atlas stone, or you're doing an 18 inch deadlift. Like every right. I I I'm a big fan of mobility, like you said, because you're just training such a wide range of motion. Right. Um. But yeah, I mean. I, I, I'll do a deadlift and someone's like, oh, you got, you know, that looked like an opener. I'm like, well, it didn't, you have to like, yeah. you know, yourself more than anyone. So don't let like, if you, if you're listening and like something felt like an RP 10, it's probably an RP 10. Right. You know? That's the point of rate of perceived exertion. And, and, and RP is really popular now. And obviously I, I use it, but for anyone, I guess anyone also listening, like you don't have to, like, just cause it's kind of the newer thing and there are great benefits to it. Auto regulates, you know, all that kind of stuff. You don't necessarily have to use it. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being a percentage-based lifter or even a reps in reserve. And I think I'm probably a little bit more of those two um, myself just because I'm so used to doing top sets and top sets were usually like at a percentage and then you leave one in the tank. Uh, and when you're in the zone and things are flying, like it's just so hard to like – a great example I think is like with uh, – I'm pretty sure I've given your program by giving people's – is I'll give them a, a, a load. I say, hey, if you feel good, hit one more rep mm -hmm. because sometimes it's easier to hit – a triple instead of a double than to judge your next jump to go up to a true double at the RPE. So if you hit, so if I tell you to hit an RP at 8.5 for a double and you hit a double at eight, well, yeah, you could add like 10 more pounds, but now you got to focus again, get a, yeah. you might get more aroused. So you might either put too much weight on, miss it or put the right amount of weight on, but then get more aroused than you should in training. So I'd rather you just hit a triple that becomes an RPE 8.5 than to do another sure. set. So there, there's so many different ways to skin a cat, you know, and I think yeah, it's just 100%. learning yourself as a lifter, leaving a little bit in the tank, not failing, constantly making progression in some way. Yeah. The only time I see issues with percentage-based lifting is people that are, um, I don't want to even say more casual, but they have a very like wide variety of life, you know, like, and, and they're not as consistent with like things like their nutrition, mm -hmm. their sleep, because your max, it's hard to explain to someone, but your max can genuinely uh, change like up to 15% by the day, you know, right. if you didn't sleep, if you didn't eat stuff like that. So you get a really shitty day where you slept two hours and you didn't eat at work or whatever. Right. I think that's the only time you run into an issue. Yeah, you're right. Cause a lot of those, a lot of those percentage-based programs are a linear progression or just something very basic. So it's almost like they burn themselves out at the lower end and then their recovery or their lifestyle affects them at the yeah. The top end. So they hit like a set of five with like 85%. Like I got like six in the tank. And then a couple of weeks later, the 85% comes up and they get like five and you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, let me, let me uh, rattle off a couple of questions real quick yeah, yeah, sure. from people. They're not even specific to you. They're just random questions like that we get every week. Okay, um, cool. I'll, you can kind of just answer whatever quickly, whatever you want to, whatever, however deep you want to dive into them. Going on a long road trip, you got one energy drink to grab from a gas station. What are you grabbing? Shoot, I'll probably just grab rain, just because it supports strongman. Which either, that, either that's rain or the monster. exact same thing I say too. That's the exact <laughs> same thing I say. Either rain or monster. Out because what, what what rain? Oh man, I kind of like the the ones with the thermogenic in them. Except if it's in a really hot gym. If it's cold outside, I like it. Uh, but the go to like original, I think, is like my uh, was. It, orange creamsicle oh I, I hate that one 
Really? Yeah, the other guy, other guys on the car <laughs> love that one. I hate that one. It might just be the name, man. The name just reminds me of like the orange cream I got like in elementary school. Yeah, like, yeah. Once a week they would have them for you know on the lunch line. I'm like, oh shoot, finally dessert. <laughs> I literally tell I literally told uh Froley and Dante, I'm like, it's the fat kids that all like the orange dream sickle. So well, it ain't wrong there. <laughs> I was like a hundred and ten pound <laughs> little wrestler, so maybe I was just a, but um <laughs> If you had to eliminate one strongman event forever, not necessarily even just for you, but seeing it, it shows what, what one event would, oh, you, man. would you eliminate? I'm trying to think of one that I just think is really dumb. I mean, I'm not a huge fan of like the front holds and stuff only because it's hard to have good commentary. Um, man, I thing is they're all good strongman events. I was trying to think of a really, tell me some other ones that have come up on the pot. I'm, I'm kind of curious. I, like uh like what event like that for that question yeah yeah i'm just curious what other people have well said. like i've said i've said um as a promoter and versus an athlete i'm like oh that's my brain, yeah. like tacky like stones i like i like doing stones <laughs> but like running a show like i agree especially in my own gym like we had a little in-house show in, in around christmas and we had stones and i'm like i just like I just want to rip my my hair out. Yeah. You know? Well, I think that's why the question's hard because like it's like which events do I want to train, which events do I want to if I had to set them up what I want to set up and which yeah. do I want to do. I think the only ones I'm not a huge fan of doing are ones that I can't like exploit like something like get better at. It's like front hold or like the side holds. Like you can't like change your arm length. You can only just like hold it longer. Yeah. Um, like, the I'm, only thing I'm a little I'm a little tired of seeing farmers holds only because why not just make them farmers carries? It's it's a thing for promoters to be done easier. Yeah, I agree. So it doesn't, but at the same time, it is an event that is mentally tough. So like, even though I would do better it being moving, so I can actually test my speed. There are definitely guys that like can dead with eight hundred pounds that like their hands are just, you know yeah. babied out at, at twenty seconds, and you know you just hold for a minute and you're gonna win. So I like as a promoter, I like doing gritty events like that. But to me, yeah. like a farmer's hold kind of just seems cheap. That's why, like yeah. for ours, like we did a gritty event. We just got a Hercules hold because oh, I nice. I think it's cooler to watch. Well, I think it's cool. Of course you did because I'm I'm training a client that has it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, you do have a Hercules hold. Um, like as yeah. a promoter, also too. Like, I, see, I love sandbags. Like, I love sandbags. I like doing sandbag to shoulder over shoulder. I just think at a show you really need the judge, whoever's judging it, to to make it clear how he's going to judge it because you'll right. see over shoulder and it's going like over like their forearm or like uh, the bags it, it's just uh it's no knock on anyone it's just a tough event to judge you've got to really is. be consistent and it's it's hard i think as a promoter the way i look at when i look at the promoter picking events for a show is they need to give like a good event and they can get like kind of a freebie event every now and again like an easy reset event yeah. so if you're doing a truck pull or an arm over arm of the truck obviously the resets just back up the truck so that's i'm fine with you throwing in some of those like I mean, if it's a really cool truck, it is a cool event. But sometimes, a lot of times, it ends up being kind of like, a, you know, it's, it's not the the prettiest event. It's kind of hard to train for. And then, unless it's been tested, I've definitely been the shows where like, everybody's time was between like fifteen and twenty seconds. It's um, not a very. And then I've been spread. to somewhere that the truck hasn't moved. Exactly. Exactly. You know, so it has to be tested. Yeah. It's but, I, but but I'm fine with like quick reset events like that, or like uh, if they did a farmer's hold. But you got to put in a couple events that require some effort, you know, you got to have something that's moving, something that's cool, something that, you know, someone wants to take a picture of because it's going to be a cool sure. Instagram profile picture. So like when I see promoters that only do easy to reset events, it's like, I get it. Like that makes the most sense. But like, if they don't test all the capabilities of strongman and they don't provide the athlete, like something fun to do, then it is kind of being a little bit cheap. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe, maybe do one event. That's a little hard to reset, like a power stairs. Like it's paying the butt to reset, but like, they'll appreciate it yeah so. and it's a cool yeah it's a cool event like that's ours is our hercules hold is going to be heavy at the show because i i don't like when grip events become like people are winning with like a two minute time yeah no and it's just like 45 it, seconds to a minute 15 is a good winning time yeah right yeah um well the, uh, this one came up three times this week from three separate people which i thought was weird but weird if uh if you're doing a max, we'll say we'll say you like Axel. You're doing a max overhead Axel. What's your what's your song you're gonna be playing? Do you have a do you have a one know, song? Shoot. Uh well when I got when I got hurt, I know my song was 
Green Whites by Little Dirk, so I'll probably just play that one again. There you go. <laughs> uh, keg, kegs or sandbags for training? Ooh. For an event. We'll say for an event. Probably probably sandbags. I like – I mean, I like keg, but it doesn't train the grip aspect and, like, the odd object capability. So if someone had to pick only one to train with or have, it would be sandbag. And I think they all carry over well. Sandbag, keg, and stone are, are very – uh, synergistic and you know how you load them so yeah i just uh i just got all our sam our cerberus sandbags in the mail the other day we have 18 brand new cerberus sandbags i gotta have, the show. have fun filling those man that's oh, in the butt i know we have a full set right now but i i want to have a set that goes completely untouched till the day of the show you know like, oh nice I, I want them to be completely because people are gonna be doing sandbags head to head like every event we have two of the exact same implement. So you can go head to head with like, you know, if you're in first and the person's in second, right. Last event of the day is Hercules hold. You guys are going to be going head to head to win the show basically like potentially. That's awesome. I want, I, it's always a pet peeve of mine when I go to a show and I get this just a hobby, but like if I'm going against you and we're in the same class and like you're pressing a rogue log and I'm pressing like a Titan log or vice versa. No, that's I not just, allowed. I like, you know, I just like having, I like having it be a hundred percent equal playing field. Right. No, I agree. But, uh, but man, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, no problem. Is there anything else? Is there anything? I, I feel like I forgot to wear my, my, uh, never, never quit shirt. <laughs> I, I literally run around today. I forgot to put it on, but I love well, yeah, it. Yeah. It's a, it's a secret shirt that somehow is also a grip shirt. And I didn't even plan for that. Be, <laughs> there you go. It worked out. You're going to have federations banning it soon. Yeah, I hope that's, what, that's when you get popular, man. You got to get banned. So, cool. I but get- oh yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome to have you. Uh, awesome to be on your podcast that you know i've listened to a couple of them i i, I don't necessarily keep up with podcasts much but uh it's, it's cool to stay a little bit relevant <laughs> yeah well man i appreciate it so much and uh you know be sure to follow andrew personal account running strong man check out first first called strength on instagram as well and and definitely inquire to him about coaching so Sweet. we'll see you guys for episode 69